Welcome to another edition of the Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson. I'm Stan Guthrie, and this week, John, will be looking at the July-August issue of the magazine. That's right, Stan. If you're a subscriber, you should be getting the issue fairly soon, though unpredictably, it takes uh, longer to reach some people than others. And if you're not a subscriber, I hope that after you've listened to this podcast, you may be tempted to sign up. Well, the quaint charms of mail delivery and publishing are still <laughs> with us, aren't they? Okay, what are we going to be waiting for as we're going to our mailboxes? You can also go to the Books and Culture website where a small number of the articles are available, even if you're not a subscriber, digitally. And then there's articles that are not even from the printed magazine that are free. So you can get a taste of it. As you can see from the cover, which is done by the genius who calls himself Red Nose Studio, the feature is what we're calling a giant lit section. And that's a huge section, 15 pieces in all, that in some way or another, all the pieces deal with literature, but they cover a huge range. There are other pieces in the issue besides that. We talked about one a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the incomparable Frederica Matthews Green, and uh-huh. she reviews Rod Dreher's memoir. There's Sarah Rudin on dogs and Malcolm Gladwell, a wonderful piece on a book called God's Hotel, A Doctor, a Hospital, and a Pilgrimage to the Heart of Medicine. The Significance of Religious Experience by the philosopher Howard Wettstein, reviewed by David O'Hara. Alan Jacobs has a piece on a enigmatic, self-taught architect who created one of the most beautiful churches in England. There's an interview with the president of Gordon College, D. Michael Lindsay, by Todd Ream. That's in a series we're doing. We had Kenneth Starr, the president of Baylor, earlier this year. We had an interview with Philip Riken, the president of Wheaton College. And later this summer, Todd is hoping to interview Michael Leroy, the hmm. new president of Calvin. This interview with Michael Lindsay is the latest in that ongoing series. And there's a guest column by Eric Miller, who's written often for Books and Culture and also for Christianity Today. He's a historian at Geneva College, reviewing a book by Alan Wolfe, called Political Evil, which was published on the 10th anniversary of 9-11, but actually is even more timely now than it was then. Why is that? With the debates over drones, the Boston Marathon bombing, and the recent revelations about violation of secrecy for the purposes of national security, all of that that's going on, some of the questions that are raised in the book are even more timely today than they were a couple of years ago. So books and culture, more timely than tomorrow's newspaper. (laughs) 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 Well, yeah, there's timely and then there's timely. It's funny that there's a lot of stuff we're bombarded with more than ever information, a great deal of which plays off of what's just going on. And yet, in an odd way, a lot of it seems outdated by the very moment it appears. (laughs) And then there are other things that don't seem quite as obviously timely, like this book by Alan Wolf and Eric's reflections on it, Mm. that in an odd way seem more timely. 
Well, one of the functions of books and culture, isn't it, is to give some perspective beyond just the headlines. Well, it's a good thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if, if we were judged on with our six issues a year and no, in fact, we even tend to stay away from things that have been run into the ground. So they might be really important subjects, but after you've encountered something about 20 times, that might be enough. On the other hand, you're not so likely to have read a piece on the Thousand and One Nights, like the wonderful piece mm. by Michael Robbins, the poet Michael Robbins, who leads off the giant lit section. He considers a couple of recent translations of the Thousand and One Nights. You might not be so likely to have read about a novel called The Middlesteins by Jamie Attenberg, which did get a really nice review in the New York Times book review, but Lisa Cockrell reviews it here. And the title is Dying for Food. Yeah, food is at the center of that book. Let's step outside the giant lit section for a minute. Okay. And tell me, what is this thing called Dogs and Malcolm Gladwell about? I'm intrigued. Well... It's the first of a three-part series in which Sarah Rudin is engaging Malcolm Gladwell's work in particular, but also a tendency it represents a certain uncritical lifting up of what's taken to be the findings of social science, which are often presented in such a way as to dismiss traditional understandings of the human person, and of other subjects as well. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the Trail of Tears and what came after it. That's a review by James Mackey of a novel by Diane Glancy that is actually a follow-up to an earlier novel about the removal of the Cherokees that was ordered early in the 19th century, and they had to leave the lands where they had lived for quite a long time, and forcibly marched to Oklahoma, which wasn't a state then, but what is now Oklahoma. Right. And they, of course, suffered a great deal, not only being uprooted, but the conditions in which they were traveling was such that a lot of people died along the way. That was the first novel called Pushing the Bear. And this is a sequel to it that talks about after the Trail of Tears, when they're settled in Oklahoma. And Diane Glancy herself, who again is someone who's written for books and culture and is one of my favorite writers. I mean, we've talked about her before. We've done podcasts on her work. She is someone who writes both from the perspective of a Native American and also someone who is resolutely Christian. And this is an interesting piece in part because James Mackey, who knows her work extremely well and edited a companion to her work, a volume of essays with some very good insights into her work. He himself, as he makes clear in the piece, is not a religious believer at all. And yet he gives a very appreciative reading of this novel and its predecessor. What can you tell me about the piece, Living Maps? That's a wonderful piece by Dan Bowman, who's a poet who recently came from upstate New York to Indiana to teach at Taylor University. And it's about getting acquainted with the Midwest in part through its literature because bookish people do that. And how would you sum up this issue in 20 words or less? A giant lit section that starts with 
The Thousand and One Nights, that includes people like Wendell Berry and Robert Frost and Zadie Smith, and a piece that we just talked about on the literature of the Midwest, and then ends with a piece called Chinese Shakespeare's. I would say that it's a vintage books and culture that, as we've talked about on many occasions, it gives some taste of the gratuitous splendor of the world, also the sadness, and it suggests that our confidence in a just and loving God is not misplaced.